Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. You know, does John Boehner go home and smoke a J? I don't know. He was a big cigarette smoker. I don't think I'd be shocked if he did. Today, Republicans are watching their states back weed, but they're not sold. So many states are out of step with the federal government. Something's going to have to change soon. It's already starting to become like a mini nightmare. Natalie Fertig covers cannabis policy here at Politico. Senator Sherrod Brown asked me if cannabis policy reporter was actually on my resume. And it is, right? Yeah, it's 100% on my resume. It says cannabis reporter. And there's been a ton of action on her beat since November. You have to think about how rapidly this is happening. It was only one decade ago that Colorado and Washington state passed their legalization. Man, I have to keep up the count. The fact that eight new states, at least the voters, have voted to legalize cannabis since November really changes the game on Capitol Hill. I'm Tara Palmieri, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. So how is the conversation changing behind closed doors on Capitol Hill? Natalie spoke to a dozen GOP senators about their stance on loosening federal regulations on the sale of cannabis. Hey, Senator Sullivan. Hi, Senator Daines. And their answers on why they don't support it varied. But in one way or another, they all said... Nope. I, I oppose it. You oppose it? Yeah. I don't see any any redeeming value from all of that. Well, I'm not not a big fan of, of the decision that the state made. But I just, you know, you got to have some principles yourself. Thank you. But the voters that put them in office, they're saying yes. Weed's popularity boom in red states just isn't breaking through with conservatives on Capitol Hill, pinching an already narrow path to federal legalization. So what's going through these lawmakers' heads? Natalie says a lot of lawmakers are talking about states' rights, business revenue. It's tricky, strategic. You know, while a lot of them wouldn't commit, you can kind of tell that they're trying to toe a line between not committing because they don't want to piss off their state, but they also don't want to commit to something that might hurt people. Actually, right in the lawmaker's backyard, literally, business owners are watching closely. Just a few miles from Capitol Hill, these two small business owners are operating in the confusing gray area this federal versus state legislation has created. Murky. Murky. Yeah, murky. It's like, what? Lisa Scott runs Bud Appetit, a delivery edible business that used to literally be right on top of Capitol Hill. I mean, I was right next door to a senator, half a block from the Hart Senate building. Alan Amsterdam runs Capital Hemp, a brick-and-mortar business not far from Lisa. It's where he sells cannabis-adjacent products. I'm actually studying right now to be a a certified ganjier, which is like a wine sommelier. He has his own words for the D.C. cannabis scene. Complicated chaos, two words. See, selling cannabis in the nation's capital is technically illegal. But possessing up to two ounces of the stuff isn't. 
thanks to a law the city passed in 2014. So people have found a workaround. And so the loophole was, well, you could sell something else and then gift them the cannabis. A not-so-secret loophole. Gifting cannabis. And there are actual shops for this, right in the lawmaker's backyard. Let's say you have a security clearance. Or you're, you're working for the SEC and you might have to do a vertical move over to the DOD or whatever, and you need a higher security clearance. If you go into the gifting shops, nobody knows you're smoking cannabis. So while lawmakers right down the street are debating whether to federally legalize weed, they're doing so against the backdrop of this uniquely murky... Murky. ...legal but not legal cannabis town. I mean, the amount of money transacted every day in this city for cannabis is astronomical. Washington, D.C. is a cannabis town, and it's been a cannabis town for a long time. Lisa and Alan are both hoping for federal legalization. But in the meantime, they'll continue to run their businesses through a tangle of loopholes and gray areas. So technically, so there's two different colors of sidewalks in Washington, D.C., I'm pretty sure that the ones around the capital, like the federal land has, I think it's darker sidewalks and the district land has lighter sidewalks. And as long as you're on the lighter sidewalk, you're in district land so you can have cannabis on you. When you step onto the darker sidewalk, then you could be arrested for having it. While making sure they're on the correctly shaded sidewalk. A policeman told me this once outside uh, HUD, where there was a protest going on and they were handing out edibles. And I was like, why don't you arrest them? And he was like, they're on the light sidewalk. So I'm not going to arrest them. That's crazy. And how would anyone ever know that? (laughs) Because you ask a policeman, I guess. I think all the advocates know these rules. They spend a lot of time trying to Mm. figure them out. So there's tons of loopholes. I mean, there's so many weird loopholes. It's kind of interesting that this whole conversation is happening in a city, Washington, D.C., where it is legal um, to use marijuana. But only to use it. Not to buy it. Not to buy it. Interesting. You can grow it. You can gift it, mm. which has found a lot of loopholes. You can buy a postcard for $50 and they'll gift you some marijuana along with that $50 postcard. Right. But yeah, I mean, it, D.C. is is in a very weird legal space because of Congress. Do these marijuana lobbyists, do they actually offer, you know, the product to senators, their staffers, to lawmakers? How does that work? I mean, there actually is one, uh, you know, it's not like if you go to uh, the liquor lobbyists, you go to one of their events and there's just like, yeah, there's like whiskey tastings and stuff like that. It's not like that. But I do know one advocacy group that uh, if you go have a meeting with them, they'll hand you this little green circular plastic container of marijuana. But for them, it's not so much of like a let's woo you by having you sample the products. They actually (laughs) hand it to people. And it's exactly the amount that, well, Virginia just legalized cannabis, but until very recently would have gotten you in jail in Virginia. And that's the point that they make when they hand it to people is it's this little tiny, smaller than a quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they hand it to you and they say, if you leave D.C., you go to Maryland or Virginia, mm-hmm. you can go to jail for having this in your pocket. Right. You just you're not going to get it at like an official lobbying event in Washington, D.C., at least not at this point. So. We've had some big, important news events this week. You've been running around the halls of Capitol Hill asking about weed. How did that feel? Getting to know 
where everyone is on this issue. Uh, Senator Schumer's planning to introduce a comprehensive reform bill, but he hasn't yet. And so I went up to Capitol Hill really to just kind of take the temperature of the Republicans and the Democrats on Capitol Hill. And, you know, it was good to to see where everyone's at, even though there isn't a bill yet, there isn't anything really concrete to talk about. They all know what this issue is, and it's obvious that they've been thinking about it more than they were in the last Congress. So what's the consensus? Is this a partisan issue or is it just based on the state, regional? What, what's your feeling on the politics of cannabis in Washington? So Democrats have really taken this on as an issue in a sense that's sort of made it a partisan issue in a way, but Republicans haven't said no. Democrats have just kind of cohesively said yes. So most Democrats you talk to, with a few exceptions, are on board with federal legalization or at least removing federal penalties on cannabis, even if their state hasn't done so yet. Republicans are sort of the opposite, where they have not, as a party, said, yes, we're on board, or no, we are collectively not on board, and they're leaving it up to individual lawmakers. So you have a wide range of of perspectives, but the thing that I noticed is that even the senators who come from legal states who are Republican are are definitely not as gung-ho on this issue as Democrats. They are at best sort of tacitly agreeing that something needs to be done. I would say they are really dragging their feet on it, even if their own voters have done it. And a couple of them actually told me that even though their voters or their legislatures have made moves to legalize medical or recreational marijuana, that they're not interested in doing the same thing on the federal level. For Democrats, is it about criminal justice reform or is it about tax revenue? What is it about for them? Yeah, so that's a big thing. Um, I would say that everyone is looking at it as a tax revenue thing, whether or not they say that or not. But criminal justice reform and um, all of the events of 2020 have really pushed marijuana to the forefront for a lot of Democrats. I mean, it always has been a big issue for Cory Booker. Um, Senator Schumer came out three years ago in favor of federal legalization of marijuana, but he's been talking about it more and more and more since the events of last summer, since the killing of George Floyd um, and the protests that happened last summer. That was also the push that passed the Moore Act in the House last year. But let's also not forget that Schumer is also an election year and trying to win over progressives. Yes. So there's a, a, a tug and pull here, right? This isn't completely new for Schumer, but he's talking about it way more than he was before. And the election year definitely probably has something serious to do with that. So what's the current status of federal cannabis legislation in the Senate? So they are awaiting a bill. Senator Schumer, Booker, and Ron Wyden are putting together this bill. They've been delayed in putting it out because everything in the Senate has been delayed recently. The fact that, man, I have to keep up the the count, the fact that eight new states have legalized cannabis since November, or that at least the voters have voted to legalize cannabis since November— really changes the game on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers are way more aware of the fact that this is happening in now dozens of states across the country. 
And they they need to start thinking about it. They need to start saying, what do we do on Capitol Hill? So even the ones that aren't on board with federal legalization or the ones that are still unconvinced in the Republican Party are on board with this banking bill that would make it easier for cannabis businesses to access bank accounts. And it's like this thing that Republicans can wrap their head around mm. and get on board with that helps the industry. It makes them legitimate. Yeah. So they can say, hey, look, we did something for the cannabis industry in our state. We're not totally ignoring what our voters did. But like, hey, we're not sure that we want to federally legalize this thing that we don't know a lot about yet. Mm. So who's on board and who is Schumer still trying to wrangle? So none of the 12 Republicans that I talked to would commit to voting for to end federal prohibition. Lisa Murkowski said that she thought that it may have to go that way, but that's not a commitment. Senator Kevin Kramer, whose state only has medical, but he's a, a pretty sort of state's rights kind of guy. He said that, you know, he was really open to talking about ending federal prohibition as well. And also Cynthia Loomis, who's coming from a very libertarian perspective, said that she thought this should just be up to the states rather than the federal government. But that's as far as any of the Republicans would go. So Schumer really has his work cut out for him in getting them over the finish line. I did talk to minority whip John Thune, South Dakota, whose state voted to legalize both medical and recreational in the November election. And he said that, you know, there's still some litigation going on in South Dakota about the recreational ballot measure and if it's going to stand. But he said, yeah, you know, this is something that Republican states are starting to do more and the conversation isn't going away. There are some, though, like the other South Dakota senator, Mike Rounds, who said, no way, Jose. He won't even support the banking bill that a lot of the other ones support to say, look, we're, you know, we're we're doing something for the cannabis industry, if, even if it isn't full federal legalization. So there are some Republicans that are just never going to come around. What are the pressures on the senators who haven't flipped? So that's the really important question. The industry in some of these states doesn't actually want federal legalization because states have had to create their own industries. You can't import cannabis from Oregon to Alaska because that's interstate commerce and that's regulated by the federal government. So Alaskans had to grow all their own weed in this very cold place where weed doesn't grow really well. And so it's very expensive to grow weed and they've invested a lot in these grow facilities. And so federal legalization would hurt their businesses, the people that are growing cannabis in Alaska, for example. So the pressures on lawmakers are actually really complicated. It's not as simple as my state legalized, therefore my state wants me to vote for federal legalization. It's the voters in the states, though, that are going to be putting pressure, a different kind of pressure on lawmakers. If the voters say, we think this is important, and they hear that from their voters more than they hear from the cannabis industry, that may make a difference. You also have big corporations like Scott's miracle Grow, and now Amazon just came out in favor of federal legalization, or at least removing of federal penalties on cannabis. And that could be a game changer on Capitol Hill if some of these bigger corporations put their elbow grease into pushing for this. So who's really against it right now? 
Minority Leader McConnell is famously very against marijuana. He always has been. We don't know exactly what conversations he's having behind the scenes, but he was the reason that even the banking bill did not come up in the last Senate, despite having pretty broad support from Democrats and Republicans in the last Senate. Mm. Is this does it have is there any risk that the marijuana debate will become part of the culture wars that the Republicans are waging right now? You know, there's always that risk. One of our political colleagues in Florida did a really interesting story during the 2020 election showing that there was an immense amount of overlap between people who voted for Trump in Florida and people who voted for marijuana. So Hmm. it's a much more complex issue than Democrats versus Republicans. And, And I don't think that it's ever going to fully fall down those party lines which is part of the reason I actually like covering it. Mm, Sounds fascinating. What do you think would make these Republicans flip besides grassroots interests from their voters? That is the golden question I think that everyone is asking right now. I think the state's rights argument has, has a huge following. That's what I hear the most from Republicans on Capitol Hill when they're talking about cannabis. They're talking about federalism and they're talking about you know, states' rights to do what they want to do. I think that what's going to deter Republicans is actually probably the more important conversation than what's going to get them on board. What's going to deter them, honestly, is a lot of the social equity provisions. It's going to be taxing the cannabis industry and using that to create grants that will go to help people who've been hurt by the war on drugs get into the cannabis industry. And that's something that Democrats don't want to part with. So that's really mm. going to be the crux is is not necessarily do we or don't we remove federal penalties, which is a really important difference. There's a difference between legalizing and removing federal penalties. Legalizing says this is now legal everywhere. Removing federal penalties still lets states leave it illegal, just like alcohol is still illegal in some counties. There's still dry counties in some places around the country. That's where Republicans are at, is leaving it up to the states, but removing all of the federal barriers. A very simple, just removing the federal barriers, I think could easily get enough Republican support to pass the Senate. Hmm. The question is, would it lose too many Democrats? if it didn't include expungements and if it didn't include the grant programs and financially creating pathways to make up for the war on drugs. Got it. So it sounds like if there was some sort of financial incentive for Republicans, they would be more in favor of this. I think that the cannabis industry will make a lot of revenue. That's why a lot of states have legalized it, especially following the pandemic and the recession, the the mini recession that was created by the pandemic. A lot of states began talking about the economic benefits and the tax revenue they were going to get from legalizing cannabis. And then you have John Boehner, former Speaker of the House. Yeah. Basically as the lead lobbyist in favor of cannabis. He is a a co-chair of one of the country's biggest cannabis companies, yeah. But there's a couple other, you know, Republican lawmakers that are working for cannabis companies now. So it's it's not a, a, a wild leap for lawmakers to leave Congress and go into weed these days. Right. There's a lot of money to be made there. It's the fastest growing industry. 
Do you think his participation makes Republicans feel more comfortable about supporting this legislation? They definitely know he's doing it because they kind of joke about it now and then. Okay. But, you know, I have not seen anything to make me believe that he's actively making calls to these lawmakers to to bring them mm. on board. I think it's more of an advisory role. You know, he's not the lobbyist on Capitol Hill. He's the okay. the co-chair of the board. But I do think that him going and doing that shows at least shows that that there are some Republicans who are very open to the cannabis industry. Someone once explained it to me that it's not so much an aversion to cannabis as it is a deep desire to not be blamed if something goes wrong. Mm. Because we really don't know a lot about cannabis. The research is hard to do. That's another thing that the federal government is trying to fix is to make cannabis research easier to do, but it'll still be years before there's a lot of research to tell us exactly what the impact of cannabis is, especially on developing brains is kind of the crux that everyone's worried about kids ages 15 to 25, actually, and what impact high potency THC might have on the brain as it develops. And and lawmakers don't want to get their finger pointed at them if 10 years from now, they realize that it, something went terribly wrong. So that's, I think, the big thing for Republicans right now is that they don't – They that's why they're, they're doing this standoff thing where they say, let's just let the states decide. Okay, yeah, 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 maybe just removing the federal penalties is okay, but let's not – we don't want to get pointed at 10, 20 years from now if something happens like what happened with – you know, the cigarette industry or something like that, where we find out that our names are on pushing for legalizing something that then hurt a bunch of people. I think there's a there's a bit more fear over it in the Republican Party than there is in the Democrat Party, where Democrats have really painted it predominantly as a criminal justice reform thing. So for them, that there are still some issues to sort out and there's protections they need to put in place for kids. But the immediate benefit of people not going to jail for this is a much stronger political pull for Democrats than it is for Republicans. Interesting. So you wrote about something called the Gardner effect. Tell me about that. So Cory Gardner was the Republican from the first weed state, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Colorado and Washington legalized cannabis both in 2012, but Colorado got its industry up and running first. And the industry in Colorado has really made a very large impact in Colorado in ways that it hasn't in Washington and in some of the other states. It's brought a lot of tourism into the state. It has a lot of ripple effects into other industries within the state of Colorado. So the industry has a lot of power in Colorado. And that really influenced Cory Gardner's position on cannabis. He went from a lawmaker who was campaigning against the ballot measure in 2012 to being the main cannabis guy on Capitol Hill by the time that I showed up in 2019 to report on this. Oh, wow. So, you know, he he introduced the precursor to the Moore Act, which was the States Act, which was a slightly more conservative approach to helping states, you know, do their own thing. It was a, a states' rights-focused cannabis bill. And he also was the main sponsor of the banking bill that passed the House last year. 
he also kind of famously filibustered and held up a piece of legislation a couple years back in order to get a promise from President Trump that the DOJ would not go into legal states and attack their industries, essentially. So he was like the cannabis guy on Capitol Hill, and he was a Republican. So what happened in the last election when Montana legalized, South Dakota legalized, and Mississippi voted to legalize medical marijuana was that advocates and Democrats all said to themselves, we're going to have more Cory Gardners. We're going to have more Republicans who are going to flip because their state has legalized. Hmm. And the thing is, is that the industry in Colorado is not like the industry anywhere else. It is a very specific political power that the cannabis industry has in Colorado. So that's part of what I was going around Capitol Hill asking Republicans about is, hey, are you going to follow in the footsteps kind of of Cory Gardner and and follow what your voters or your legislatures have done? And, you know, while a lot of them wouldn't commit, you can kind of tell that they're trying to toe a line between not committing because they don't want to piss off their state, but they also don't want to commit to something that might hurt people. Cory Gardner was just like, yeah, 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 I'm here for the cannabis industry. Like, let's talk about it Um, Mm. when he would actually stop and talk. The cannabis industry was something he cared a lot about. He talked a lot about. I don't get that same vibe from any other senator on Capitol Hill. All 12 that I talked to all represent medical or recreationally legal states. And none of them were prepared to be the defender of the cannabis industry in the way that Cory Gardner has. Interesting. Also, one of the most conservative justices, Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, he said that federal marijuana laws don't make sense. Yeah. And he wrote, quote, the federal government's current approach is a half in, half out regime that simultaneously tolerates and forbids local use of marijuana. What do you think of that? I was actually going to bring that up. So I appreciate you reading that out (laughs) for me. Um, You know, Clarence Thomas, one of the more conservative justices saying this is a pretty big deal. Just, you know, he doesn't actually personally have any impact on policy, but he's respected amongst conservatives. And the fact that he's written this is going to make some people think, especially some conservative lawmakers. And, you know, he's totally right that it's becoming an unsustainable model that so many states are out of step with the federal government. Something Something's going to have to change soon or... It's just it's already starting to become like a mini nightmare. Okay, so I see that you're wearing um, tie dye, which I respect. I'm also a lover of tie dye, but I'm wondering, being the cannabis <laughs> reporter, how do you talk about the subject you cover with your editors? Is it Mary Jane? Is it weed tree grass reefer cannabis? What are your? How do you talk about it with your editors? Yeah, I totally forgot that I was wearing uh, (laughs) tie-dye. I mean, you kind of bring up a good point, which is that one of the conversations we had when we started this is that there is this perception that people smoking weed or, honestly, that people covering weed are just all stoners in their basement wearing Mm tie-dye. But it's this concept that cannabis is this joke. But cannabis is actually really serious. It is a medical treatment for kids who are dying of seizures. You know, it's agriculture, it's medicine, it's 
criminal justice reform, it's research, it's a lot of really important issues. So when I talk with my editor, that's really where we're coming from. And yeah, it's a very diverse space and we don't want to diminish that. The stigma is sort of something that exists in Washington and maybe isn't reflected as much in the electorate. Definitely. And legalizing it also means it's tested. I mean, I I warn my friends in New York and D.C. and places where you still can't buy cannabis that's gone through a testing process, like, be careful, because I've been to the—I haven't been to the forests yet. I'm hopefully going to take a ride-along with the Forestry Service, but— these illicit grows in Northern Oregon and Southern California, which a lot of that illicit weed is what makes it out East. They're using terrible like rat poison and pesticides, stuff that like a capful kills a bear. So if you're in a legal market and it's tested, you're not lighting like bear killing pesticides on fire and breathing them into your lungs. So what's the movement in Washington? Is there is anything happening? Are we just going to live in this split reality? What does the future look like to you? I mean, the split reality is getting more and more complicated. The more split it gets, actually, the harder it is to just remove it in mass from the Controlled Substances Act because you've got all of these small businesses in these states that have started up that will be put totally out of business if you can just buy weed from anywhere. The short-term future probably is going to be something in the appropriations process. They have been putting protections for all legal state industries into the House's bill. They put it in the last two appropriations bills when Democrats were in charge in the House um, and it didn't pass the Senate. There's a possibility that that could pass the Senate this time, which would help states a bit, make them a little bit more confident in legalizing something that's federally illegal, there's still a chance that Schumer's bill could pass. I think there is a very narrow needle that he could thread. Um, But, you know, it's going to be a really, it's going to have to be like a very good shot to like shoot an arrow through uh, the needle of actually getting federal legalization or federal descheduling through in this Congress. But honestly, if he doesn't get it through this Congress, we know that there's a really high likelihood that Democrats lose the House in the next Congress and that I don't see them being able to get federal legalization through a Republican House, at least not in the next Congress. So time's ticking. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to say never, but this is there's kind of a two year window here for for them to get it done before we, they might have to wait a couple more years. Got it. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. And that's our show. Our producers are Adrian Hurst and Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amin. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Special thanks to producer Olivia Reingold. Mike Zappler is Playbook's newsletter editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll take you behind the scenes of Capitol Hill again next week on another Playbook Deep Dive. Thanks for listening.